You know what bothers me the most about the Biden administration's Department of Disinformation? Most people don't seem to care. It's just like censorship of all sorts on social media and elsewhere. Most people don't seem to care. Freedom of speech? It must be moderated, they believe. Even when entire livelihoods have been wiped out or or deeply hurt, most people don't seem to care. Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here. Brian Sussman Show Podcast. Thanks for joining me. More on me, of course, at briansussman.com. We've all seen, of course, those discover the hidden picture within another picture things inside of, generally speaking, children's magazines. They're super entertaining. Usually you're shown a landscape with trees and bushes and flowers and bits of nature, and the caption might read something like this. Concealed somewhere in this picture is a donkey pulling a cart with a boy in it. Can you find those things? So try try as you might, you can't find the hidden picture until you turn a little further back, if you're reading a magazine, to the reveal. Oh my goodness, there it is. How could I have missed this? The donkey pulling a cart with a little boy in it. You see, if we study the landscape, we realize that the whole picture was painted in such a way as to conceal the real picture within. And once we see the real picture, in this particular case, the donkey pulling a cart with a boy in it, it stands out like no one's business. And we think, how could I have missed that? You see, after many years in media, I believe that there are picture painters that artfully create landscapes for us which deliberately hide the real picture. And so for just a few minutes in this podcast, I'm going to talk to you about how to discover the hidden picture in these landscapes. The hidden picture, of course, is presented to us daily through the media. I'm talking about television, of course, which some people still watch, uh, radio, which few listen to, newspapers, which are becoming uh, (laughs) somewhat of a lost medium, but more importantly, the internet at large. Once you see through the camouflage, you will see the donkey and the cart and the boy who've been hiding there all along. You see, there are millions of us in America and really throughout the world who are concerned and frustrated over mishappenings. Let's just talk about America. We're we're frustrated about stuff going on in America right now. And many of us feel that something is wrong, drastically wrong. Sadly, it's not most, I don't believe. I think most have been just kind of lulled into accepting everything that's going on and maybe even cheering for it. But again, there are millions of us who feel that something's wrong. Maybe, maybe you're one of those persons. Something's bugging you, but you just, you can't quite get a grasp on it. And we keep electing these politicians who seemingly promise faithfully to to bring everything back to normal, but they never do. I mean, only one guy in recent times did anything radically different, and that was Donald Trump. He lasted one term. Of course, many are hoping that he'll get a second go at it. But the question is, 
Despite high hopes and these glittering campaign promises we've been hearing for decades from both sides of the aisle, these problems keep worsening. And we elect a new administration, and it's the same thing over and over and over again. I want to go back, and we're supposed to think, by the way, we're supposed to think that it's all accidental and coincidental and and out of the control of the politicians, and there's nothing they can really do about it. You know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, president uh, many decades ago, said this, quote, in politics, nothing happens by accident. He said, if it happens... You could bet it was planned that way. Now, I believe that many of the major world events that are shaping our destinies occur because somebody or some buddies have planned them all the way. If we merely were dealing with the law of averages, okay, let's just talk about the law of averages. Half of the events affecting our nation's well-being should be good for America. If we're dealing with mere incompetence, our leaders would occasionally make a mistake in our favor. So what I want to talk to you is that about is that we're really not dealing with coincidence or stupidity or any law of averages. We're dealing with something that's being planned. We're being we're dealing with something that's being planned with brilliance, diabolical brilliance taking place before our very eyes. That's the hidden picture. Now, those who believe that major world events result from planning, what do they, what do they call us? They call us conspiratorialists. Oh, conspiracy theorist. <laughs> and we get laughed at, right? The conspiracy theory of history. Here we go again. What are you guys? Generally speaking, right-wingers, right? Of course, very few people these days believe in conspiracy theories. I mean, well, when you look at all of America, those of us who go down this road are, are few, but I think it's a growing number, but it's not most. Because, as I mentioned, most have been lulled into complacency, thinking everything's going to be just fine. But when you think about it, there are really only two theories of history. Think about this, okay? We just talked about the law of averages. Something should be working out in our favor half the time. But that's not the case. When you really think about it, there are only two theories of history here. Either things happen totally by accident, neither planned nor caused by anybody, or they happen because they are planned and somebody causes them to happen. You see, once again, if you really think about it, it's the accidental theory of history, which of course is is preached through many of our politicians' mouths and echoed in the media and is taught at the unhallowed halls of Ivy League schools, including Stanford, that's the one that should be ridiculed, the accidental theory of history. Otherwise, why does every every recent administration, sans Trump, make the same mistakes as the previous ones? Why do they repeat the exact same policies, 
the exact same errors of the past, which produce a poor economy, which produce wars and rumors of wars, which produce, well, look what we're seeing now from the Biden administration, a department of disinformation and it's accepted? Why does, why does our State Department have all these things going on in so many countries, including Ukraine? I've done other podcasts on this. It baffles me. We've been in Ukraine for decades. Our State Department has been actively working in Ukraine for de- decades. Why is Ukraine so corrupt? One of the most corrupt countries in Europe. Why is Ukraine's economy in the dumper? We've been there supposedly helping out, spending lots of money, people on the ground. George Soros, this this philanthropist, this great humanitarian, the left will tell us, he set up shop there decades ago as well. What has he done? You see, if you believe it's all an accident or the result of mysterious or unexplainable tides of history, well, then you're regarded as an intellectual. Boy, you could be interviewed by CNN. You understand the complex world in which we live. Why is it that virtually all of the reputable scholars and mass media talking heads and commentators reject the cause and effect or conspiratorial theory of history? They just flat out reject it. They think everything's sort of an accident. It just just happens out of our control. We need to go in and try to fix the problem. Most scholars follow the crowd in the academic world just as people follow music trends. To buck the tide means social and professional ostracism, you see. If you buck the tide and just for a moment think that maybe this was planned, maybe this has been planned for a long time, Well, guess what? You're not going to show up as that talking head on CNN much longer. Professors and pontificators profess that they're they're tolerant. Not intolerant, tolerant and broad-minded. But in in reality, their broad-mindedness and their tolerance is is a one-way street, isn't it? It's all flowing to the left. You know, these people over the years have acquired a strong, vested emotional interest in their own little heirs. Their intellects, their egos are totally committed to this accidental theory. It's all just sort of happened. Yeah, the State Department's been in Ukraine for a long time, but Putin's unpredictable. We had no idea. Listen, I'm not an apologist for Putin in no way, shape, or form. I'm just asking, for decades, Ukraine's been in the dumper. And we've been there supposedly trying to do something about it. We've done nothing. Oh, there was that coup in 2014 that we were behind. But I digress, as I oftentimes do. Most people are highly reluctant to admit that they've been conned. Seriously. When a person is conned, In anything in life, they're kind of hesitant to admit that they were fooled. I didn't see the picture. I didn't see the hidden picture within the picture. Ooh, dummy me. Uh, They don't want to admit that. Most people are highly reluctant to have shown poor judgment. To inspect the evidence of the existence of that hidden picture, the conspiracy, Guiding our political destiny from behind the scenes would force many of these people 
to repudiate a lifetime, a lifetime of accumulated opinions. In other words, if they finally say, I see the picture within the picture, it's like everything they've ever said before is suddenly false. It's been proven not true. They don't want to go down that road. Oh, and if I do, I'm not going to be on CNN anymore, maybe even Fox. You see, it takes a person with a strong character to face the facts and admit that they've been wrong, even if it was because they were uninformed or poorly informed or maybe, well, lied to. So that's, that's where I'm going in this particular podcast, and I really appreciate you being here. Politicians and intellectuals are attracted by the concept that events are propelled by some mysterious tide of history or they happen by accident. Have I proved my point on this? I think I have. And by this reasoning, they hope to escape the blame when things finally go wrong. It's really interesting because if, if you talk about believing what is what some would refer to as a conspiracy theory, there's a personal attack, there's ridicule, there's satire, because they don't want the person exposing this conspiracy to stop the exposure. They'd rather have the person that believes the conspiracy spend more time defending themselves because then they've got that person backpedaling. That's the kind of fight they want. They want to, again, personal attack. Oh, you right-wing wacko. Ridicule. Didn't you ever go to school? Satire. Make a joke out of you for it. You're as dumb as fill in the blank. It's because you have touched upon the truth and they want to keep you from spreading that truth. And instead, they would rather have you defend yourself rather than preach the truth. Ridicule and satire. These are the most effective weapons used against the conspiracy theory. These are potent weapons, cleverly used to avoid any honest attempt to refute the facts. Nope, no one likes to be made fun of. One technique that can be used is to expand the conspiracy to the extent that it becomes concerned. How about this? Becomes absurd. Uh, for example, uh, here's one you you may have received yourself, something like this. So now you're you're talking to the uber-liberal progressive about your idea of history and how some of this has been planned. What we're seeing right now has been planned by many, and it's all coming to fruition. And then you get this. Oh, so I, believe, I suppose you believe that every liberal talking head, for example, on CNN gets, a, gets an email each morning from conspiracy headquarters <laughs> containing the orders for the day to brainwash the public. <laughs> Actually, I think that kind of does happen sometimes. I believe the, uh, the public relations people, for lack of a better word, at the White House continually in touch on conference calls with people in the media telling them to use this phrase, 
use this word. Let's make sure we push this particular plan. It happens all the time. Intellectuals are fond of cliches like, huh, well, the conspiracy theories. Tempting, but, you know, it's just, it's too simplistic. You need to think a little harder. Do a little more research on this. And the liberals accuse those who discuss the conspiracy as being paranoid. Oh, you right-wingers, you're rustling every bush, kicking over every rock, looking for these imaginary bad guys. You see, they're trying to keep you from seeing the hidden picture. Let me start here with the part two. This is the part two. Part two at uh, 16 minutes into this podcast. Everyone knows that Adolf Hitler existed. No one disputes that. The terror, the destruction that this madman afflicted upon the world are universally recognized. No problem with that in terms of the fact that he existed and did what he did. I have every problem with Hitler, but you know what I mean. Now, a little bit about Hitler. He came from a, a poor family. He had absolutely no social position. He was a high school dropout. Did you know that? He was never accused of being cultured. Yet this man tried to conquer the world. And he was, he was very successful for a period of time in his endeavors. And during his early career, he, he sat in the cold garret and and wrote long papers about his ambitions to rule the world. That's Adolf Hitler. That's all true. Everything I told you is just absolutely true. Similarly, we know that there was a guy named Vladimir Ilyich Lenin. He also existed. He was a disciple of Karl Marx. We know that Karl Marx existed. Like Hitler, Lenin did not spring from a family of, of greatness. He was the son of a petty bureaucrat. Spoke, sp spent most of his adult life in poverty. And yet Lenin was responsible for gaining the reins of a country and responsible for the deaths of tens of millions. And he enslaved nearly a billion more. Like Hitler, Lenin sat up late at night and and wrote long papers on how to conquer the world with this Marxian theory that he had embraced. We know all of that to be true. So those are two people we know of that came from nothing that were incredibly successful, so to speak, in their endeavor to take over the world. And why did they, why did they want to do this? Well, there was this thing within them that desired power, but but also there was this, this thing within them that really and truly believed they knew the way. And without their theory being applied to the world, the world would crash and burn. That's what they both believed. They both believed that they were smarter than anybody else. And they were out to, in a certain sort of way, save the world. Is it not theoretically possible, at least theoretically possible, that a billionaire could be sitting, not in some little garret, but in a, in a penthouse, 
in Manhattan or in London or in Paris and dream the same dream as Lenin? No, let's, let's take, let's, let's add to London, Paris, and, and Manhattan. Let's take uh, Washington State. <clears throat> you know who I'm talking about, hopefully. They had the same dream as Lenin. They had the same dream as Hitler. Listen, without my plan, the world is going to be destroyed. Without my plan, these people are going to wreck the planet and kill one another. Hmm. Is that not theoretically possible that there could be that billionaire or those billionaires? You have to admit, it's theoretically possible. Is it difficult for the average individual to fathom such a perverted lust for power? I mean, think about it. We're now talking about superbly educated, uh, lots of social prestige, able to pool astonishing resources together to save the planet. Hitler and Lenin didn't have those advantages, but they sure did try. So is it difficult for the average individual to fathom such a perverted lust for power? You know, the typical person just wants to enjoy success on the job, take care of their family, be able to afford a reasonably high standard of living complete with, you know, a little travel every once in a while. Most people just want to provide for them, their family and take care of themselves in sickness and in health. And, and the ambition pretty much stops there. They have no desire to exercise power over other people, to to conquer other people. Most people are just basically simple when it comes to what they want out of life, what they expect out of life. They're not like Hitler. They're not like Lenin. They're not like fill in the blanks with so many very, very wealthy people that we know of today. It's interesting because you really need to define terms. The people that I'm talking about today are, are not necessarily communists in the traditional sense of the term. I'm using the word communism, I believe, for the first time in this podcast. They, they feel no loyalty to, to Moscow, you know, Putin. They feel no loyalty to, to Xi and, and China. They're not those types of communists per se. They're basically loyal to themselves and their little clique, but they do understand, they do understand communism. And at the same time, they have no intention of dividing their wealth. They understand socialism, but at the same time, they believe in socialism and even communism for everybody else, but not for them. It's just like, it's just like Lenin and it's just like Hitler. They lived pretty large while they were alive, while everyone else was dying at their very hands. So now that I've finally brought up the C word, communism, let's talk about it because you can believe anything you want about communism except that it is a conspiracy run by men from the respectable world. You can't believe, you can say anything you want about the evils of com communism, but when you say it is being run by people from the respectable world, folks will start to label you. They'll start to use satire against you. They'll start to call you names. They'll say, I can understand your, your concern with communism, man, but 
the idea that a communist conspiracy is making great inroads into the United States, that's absurd. The American people are anti-communist, man. Don't you get that? Well, it's really interesting because I think when you talk to people one-on-one, they are indeed against communism. It's because they, they really don't know what communism is. I mean, if you were to you know, go outside, uh, do a little survey outside the Whole Foods, see if people are for or against communism, you would say, excuse me, excuse me, a question for you. We're taking a poll right now. Uh, are you for or against communism? Of course, people in the survey would generally respond, I'm against communism. What are you, a kook? What, what, wait, I have another question for you. Um, could you define communism for me? Well, now a whole new situation has developed because you're going to start getting people stalling and um and ah and I and um. Oh, yes, communism. It's a, it's a tyrannical brand of socialism. Others might say, well, communism, it was originally intended by Karl Marx as a good idea, but it's never been practiced properly. Other more pseudo-intellectuals would tell you, well, there's different types of communism. There's the communism of China. There's the communism of Russia. There's the communism that's taking place in South America. It's all different. You're making it too simple. And of course, right off the bat, they're starting to belittle you for asking the important questions. Karl Marx wrote about the laws of matter. And if I could break down the laws of matter in a nutshell, they go like this. Some people are born with a better brain than others. And those with the better brain have some sort of metaphysical responsibility, if you will, to rule those with the lesser brain, because otherwise those with the lesser brain will destroy the planet and kill themselves. That's somewhat the goal of communism. I mean, real, true communism. And if, were, if I were to define it further, I would say this. It's an international, conspiratorial drive for power on the part of people in high places who are willing to use any means possible to bring about their desired aim, global conquest. Throughout the annals of history, there have always been small and even large groups of people who have existed, who have conspired to bring the reins of power into their hands. They've done it in the business world. They've done it in in nations, small and large, they have tried. That's all in the history books. The problem is, Karl Marx also said something. History means nothing. Conspiracy to seize the power of government is as old as government itself. I mean, Julius Caesar in ancient Rome. Are we not supposed to think that people today scheme to achieve the same sort of power, only perhaps on a more grander scale. You see, every conspirator, every conspirator has two things in common with every other conspirator. Here it is. They must be an accomplished liar and a far-seeing planner. doesn't matter whether you're studying Hitler or Lenin or even Julius Caesar or some of our more contemporary conspirators, you'll find that their patient planning is, it's, it's overwhelming. So I repeat Franklin Delano Roosevelt's statement. 
In politics, nothing happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet it was planned that way. So now let's go back to our survey in front of the Whole Foods. We ask people this question. Do you think communism is inevitable in America? People say, oh, absolutely no way. <laughs> okay, how about socialism? Do you think socialism is inevitable in America? I think people, for the most part, would say, well, I'm not a socialist, but but uh, yeah, it is, it is inevitable. I mean, with everything going on in this country right now, oh, okay, so since you're not a socialist, but you feel the country is is going the way of socialism eventually, um, why don't you do something about it? And they would probably reply with something like, listen, it's, it's not necessarily a bad thing, and we need to trust our elected officials in this democracy. So here we have the American people. They're anti-communist, but unable to define it, and at the same time, anti-socialist, but they think it's inevitable. Or, for more and more younger people, Eh, socialism is really not a bad thing. We just need to do it properly. You know, it's really interesting because if you study Karl Marx and his Communist Manifesto, you'll find that in essence, Marx said that the proletariat revolution or the revolution of the people would establish a social dictatorship of the, the proletariat, the, the, the regular people. So to achieve the socialist dictatorship of the proletariat, you know, the regular people finally taking charge and having the reins, three things would have to be accomplished. This is according to Karl Marx. The elimination of all right to private property. And look at the federal regulations in this country, which are continually taking a toll on individual property rights. That's the first thing. And the second thing, the dissolution of the family unit, and that's on steroids right now. The whole idea of the traditional family, a mom and a dad, a biological male and a biological female, and children coming together under the covenant of marriage. That there, every effort on the planet, it would seem, is out to destroy that family unit. Now, this is what Karl Marx said you'd have to have. Elimination of all right to private property, dissolution of the family unit, and the destruction of what Karl Marx referred to as the opiate of the people, religion. Look what's happening right now. Like never before in this nation, Christians are becoming the people in the crosshairs. Why? Because of their intolerance because of their demanding that Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Really? There is no other way? You are so intolerant. You're so bigoted. You know, Marx went on to state that when the dictatorship of the proletariat had accomplished these three things throughout the world, and after some undetermined length of time, he was very vague on that point, the all-powerful state would miraculous, miraculously wither away and socialism would rise to communism. Remember what I said? The, the goal of socialism is communism. That's what Karl Marx said. And Karl Marx actually wrote that at that point you wouldn't need any government at all. Everything would just be peace and sweetness and, and light and everyone would live happily ever after. But to get there... 
there would have to be some hard and, and I would say terrible and evil things done to the people to whip them into shape, to get them in a position where they would finally accept socialism, which would lead to communism. And that's not freedom at all, my friends. That is not freedom at all. You see, perhaps said another way, socialism is the bait. Socialism is the bait to establish dictatorship. Socialism is the bait to get you to communism. Because dictatorship is hard to sell in idealistic terms, right? So you need to buy into socialism. It's going to be good for the masses. This drive to establish socialism, not communism, socialism, is at the core of everything the communists are doing right now. We need, to, we need equality. We need to get rid of inequality. We need to have fairness. You know, really, there are some people who are making a little too much money, right? And we need to tax them harder because that will be more fair. Socialism. We need socialism. It's the bait. It's the bait to get to communism. Marx and all of his successors in the communist movement ordered their followers to work on building socialism first. Socialism first. You know, there are some communist bookstores. And if you go to a communist bookstore, you'll find all of their literature pushes this very scheme. It does so very openly. Socialism first, then communism. Socialism first, then communism. America's founding fathers revolted against the near total government of the English monarchy. They knew that having no government at all would lead to chaos, so they set up a constitutional republic. They were revolting against the king of England. They did not like the heavy hand, which was a dictatorship. But they also knew that no government at all would lead to chaos. So they set up a constitutional republic with very limited government. They knew that people prospered in freedom. And although the free enterprise system is not mentioned specifically in the Constitution, it is the only one which can exist in a constitutional republic. They knew this. They didn't have to mention it because it was just well known. All collectivist systems require power in government. Socialism, communism, they need power in government, absolute power. And the Constitution did not grant this. Our founding fathers had no intention of allowing the government to become an instrument to steal the fruit of our labor and give it to another who had not earned it. You know, fairness, equality, inequality. Our government was to be one of severely limited powers. We have just sm- we have allowed that to be smashed before our very eyes. Jefferson said this, in questions of power, then let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. You see, Jefferson knew that if the government were not enslaved, the government enslaved, put chains on that government. Don't let it expand. He knew that if the government were not enslaved, people soon would be. He knew that the government that governs best governs least. 
And of course, what do we get now about our founding? As soon as you mention Thomas Jefferson, people say, well, he owned slaves. Any of the founders, they'll find a way to ridicule them, satirize them, and demean them. And that's the day and age in which we live. We are being socialized in America. Isn't it interesting the super rich are for socialism? Doesn't it strike you as strange that some of the individuals pushing hardest for socialism, and this has been for decades, have their own personal wealth protected in trusts and tax-free foundations? We're often told that this group of super rich are socialists because they have a guilt complex over their wealth that they sometimes inherited or didn't earn. And again, they could relieve these supposed guilt complexes simply by divesting themselves of their unearned wealth. Right. They're not do-gooders. See, the problem is so many people today believe socialism is what the socialists want us to believe it is, a share the wealth program. That's the theory, but that's not how it's worked. That's never how it's worked. Socialism is not a share of the wealth program. It is in reality a method to consolidate and control the wealth. Then the seeming paradox of super rich promoting socialism becomes no paradox at all. It's just an opportunity for them to become richer, an opportunity for them to gain more power, more control. Instead, it becomes the logical, even perfect tool of power-seeking megalomaniacs. Communism, or socialism, is not a movement of the downtrodden masses. It's a movement of the economic elite. The plan now, folks, is to socialize the United States first, and then, and then, communize it. Remember the slogan from Lord Acton. He commented, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So what's happening today is we move leftward along the political spectrum towards socialism. All the reins of power are being centralized, especially in the executive branch of our federal government. Fear is used. Intimidation is used. Threats are used to get people to line up, fall in line and follow the plan. And don't go off on their own way. You see, what we're seeing right now is a movement, not of the downtrodden masses, but it's a movement created, manipulated, and used by power-seeking individuals, billionaires in many cases, in order to gain control over the entire world. Again, first by establishing socialist governments, and then by consolidating them through a great merger. I've talked about the Great Reset, described by the World Economic Forum. That really is the Great Merger. An all-powerful world superstate. Without individual rights, without a traditional family, without dreams and visions and hopes that one makes for themselves regarding taking care of themselves, taking care of their family. And without an opiate of the people, as Karl Marx said, religion. I believe Satan is behind this. I believe what Jesus said in Mark 13, Matthew 24, Luke 21, when he was talking about the last days. These are the last days, my friend. And Satan knows it. 
and he's out to destroy God's people. He's out to destroy God's people, the Jews, of course, who are seeing increased persecution throughout this world, and Christians, which are seeing increased persecution on many continents around the world, and now it's coming to the United States of America. We need to be alert, as Jesus described in those passages. Keep our head on the swivel. Know what time it is. And friends, be willing to speak up. Thank you for joining me in this podcast, episode 140 of The Brian Sussman Show. I appreciate your listenership. This is an especially long podcast this time around, but I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please share it with a friend. More on me at briansussman.com. Lord, I pray for this nation, the United States of America. I pray for this world. I pray for my brothers and sisters under persecution throughout this world. And I pray for good men and women in this country to stand up and use their voices to expose the darkness and proclaim the truth. In your son's name, amen. Again, thanks for joining me, my friends. Until next time.